Good evening, beautiful people. I would like to welcome you to the Darian Slater Podcast. Instagram at d.slate underscore one. Subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, the Darian Slater Podcast. And if you don't, F you, everything you do, and everything you want to pursue. Welcome back. I know I've been gone for a while. The second episode of the Darian Slater Podcast. Or of the Dairy Boy Podcast. I'm still figuring out the name. I'm still trying to tinker with that to an extent i know i've been gone for a while i think the last time i uploaded uploaded a podcast was july 7th it's been a very very busy month and a half afterwards a few weeks later on down the line i went to vegas for a couple of weeks and your man she got all out of sorts which is typical what uh vegas would do to people but i've been gone i'm back i know i said i wanted to try to make a contribution weekly but i was unable to do so however you know consistency in terms of this podcast is one of those things that I know I need to improve upon. So I know I'm going to get better. I know I'm going to get better. A lot has happened since that first um, that first podcast. I've moved, uh, albeit not very far, but I still move. You know, when you get up and pack and shit, moving is a hassle in itself. So I moved a little bit, had to pack up everything. And during this time when I was moving, um, I actually found... I found my Crenshaw sticker. It wasn't that I was ever looking for it, so uh, it, it leads back to a story in October of 2018 when I went to L.A. I went out to L.A. because I had a potential opportunity, and I just wanted to peep out the scene before I made a commitment. So when I went out there, one thing I've always wanted to do, I wanted to visit the Marathon clothing store on Slauson and Ave, you know, Nipsey Hussle's clothing store. And, you know, this morning, I, that, that morning, that particular morning, I woke up in the morning, I woke up, and I drove down to the area. It's lost in the half. I parked at that Shell gas station because there wasn't any parking there. You know, you saw the all money, uh, the all money in Brinks truck. And uh, I went into the store. But on my way into the store, I kid you not, I saw Nipsey Hustle. He was sitting in a, I think it was like a black Porsche truck. Had the windows open. No, he had the windows up. Um, Durag on and everything like that. And I kid you not, this is the first time in my life where I felt like I saw a human being that just had an aura. It just had an aura is the most amazing and phenomenal thing I've ever seen looking back at it uh, retrospectively. And went to the Marathon store, I saw Nipsey Hustle in the truck. I think Black Sam was in the store as well too. Walked around about my, my green TMC hat. Um, and during that time, you know, they put, they put all these different promotional items in the TMC bag, which I still have. Had that in there, had no clue there was a sticker in there. So I took the sticker out and I put that on my laptop. So obviously RIP to Nipsey Hustle. And I remember when he passed in March, I think it was March 31st, me and my one me and my best friends we had a conversation because listen to Nipsey Hustle since so I was 18 or 19 years old. And he's been a very, very big inspiration and influence on my life. So RIP Nipsey, Nipsey Hustle is an amazing man. And 
looking back at it now, I'm just happy and I'm blessed and I'm extremely appreciative for me to have the opportunity to see him in person. It was a dream come true in all honesty. I didn't realize that he always had a great impact on me and I recognized and I appreciated that. But when I saw him in person, looking back at it, I feel like this man had an aura around him in that moment that I saw him. So RIP to Nipsey, I always rock my TMC hat. And that's just one aspect um, that happened when I was moving. Also, when I, since I moved, and since that time, my last podcast, you know, the Vegas trip that me and my friends went on, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We had some very interesting components that transpired during that trip. I won't get into too much details about that, but one funny, funny aspect that happened was I saw a dude that looked just like me. I kid you not, this nigga looked exactly like me. I have the video at some point when I upload this video and put it maybe on my Instagram uh, story so people can see it. Because, you know, we're in Vegas, we're having a good time, we're pretty lit, and some of the content in that video was not the best. And I don't want to get that out there. However, the people who recorded it did a phenomenal job, my friends. It was literally like that Spider-Man meme, like when you see the same dude pointing at each other. I kid you not, that's how it was with me and this dude. We literally had the same outfit on. It was, it was crazy. I, I might have been a little bit taller. But when we recognized him and we saw each other, that shit was crazy. Like, his friends were spazzing out, my friends were spazzing out. And I kid you not, I'm going to figure out how to upload this video and just keep it mute so I can show you all because this dude looked just like me. That was one of the standout moments for that trip during Vegas, at least one of the moments I can talk to you all about. So, with that being said, I got a few different topics I want to discuss with you all. Like football, also want to talk about domestic violence and how that is a very, very unfortunate um, reality with a few star players in the NFL and how their specific cases have been perceived by the public. Specifically, Tyreek Hill, as well as Antonio Brown. I also want to talk about the importance of checking your credit from a standpoint of like building and recognizing and understanding where you're saying. So whatever your long-term goals and values are, I think it's extremely important. And I will like let you all know about a few apps that I use that I think is very, very beneficial. I want to keep talking like I got a syllabus that I'm reading to you all. You know, like the first day of classes, you come in, professors, you know, the first thing they do is you all read the syllabus, like sometime verbatim. And I don't want to come across like that. So I'll go with the first topic that's very important to me. And that is the topic of domestic violence, especially within the NFL, in regards to the situation with Tyreek Hill, as well as Antonio Brown. Now, I want to start off by saying any man that puts their hands on a woman or any woman that puts their hands on another woman or a man on another man, if you're in a romantic relationship, I think domestic violence is deplorable and I am not an advocate of it. Even though I know not a lot of people are, there are still people who still partake in this unfortunate and ugly reality within a situation. The thing that I want to touch on the most in terms of my perception and the way the public perceives these two specific players is I think that a lot of times people do not do their due diligence and they have a very instantaneous reaction once they hear an allegation. Keyword, allegation. Yes, take these allegations seriously, hold folks accountable, hold them to a higher standard, hold them to a higher moral authority. However, I don't think we should compromise individuals 
means to earn a living. And with these two players specifically, there's been a lot of um, dialogue, especially on Twitter and different social media outlets in terms of if they should be, if they should have the privilege to play within the sport. With Tyreek Hill specifically, I understand that he has a checkered past with domestic violence in the past. And that's one aspect in terms of his situation where I understand I can recognize, recognize that pause for concern. However, based on what he was saying, they were his girlfriend within that situation was essentially lying on him. And I don't want to make a scene that I'm coming across that I'm supporting one side uh, from a gender standpoint because I am a male and I understand that privilege that comes with being a male. However, I also do know a lot of men and there are more than enough circumstances and more than enough stories that we know when women have lied upon men. Take, for example, the Ruben Foster situation. She was on court and she, he was in court and she stated, she recanted her claim and her statement in court and said she lied upon this man for the sole purpose because he wanted to break up with her. We understand that and we have to understand, we have to recognize that there's a due diligence, there's due process and there's a court of public opinion, which is the complete opposite of what it should be because here in America, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. But in the court of public opinion, of the court of public opinion, um, you're judged, you are very, uh, you're crucified almost based on the allegation. These allegations are extremely powerful. In the Antonio Brown case, the timing does seem a little bit off. And I just still think that we need to pause and we need to make sure that we get the facts and let the NFL have an investigation with this young lady who, you know, made these claims against Antonio Brown. I know it's really hard to root against Antonio Brown because to an extent, my man has been acting like a clown. He's been a little ridiculous, a little immature. I'm a fan of him still. However, my nigga's been tripping in all honesty. And we still have to recognize just because the person is an asshole and doesn't mean it's appropriate for folks to, you know, throw different allegations or false claims at this individual, um, assuming that these claims are false. But like I said before, domestic violence is something that I find personally deplorable and extremely ridiculous. And with these two specific situations and these two specific circumstances, I think the pause for concern from a public standpoint, we need to, you know, sift out the facts. And I can understand when people may have trepidation against the NFL based on the way they've handled situations and circumstances in the past. However, I still think that it's very, very important to recognize and realize that these are still allegations. How would you feel if somebody lied upon you about some shit that you did not do and it was a complete lie and then people are automatically and instantaneously believing the, perp the perpetrator or the person who's lying upon you. You can do so much good. It's almost like you can sign a million autographs but that one time you don't sign that autograph you're an asshole. And sometimes I feel like that's how certain allegations are because it's one of those things that's extremely hard to recover, recover from. And especially with the Antonio Brown situation, with that being a civil suit, it's a little confusing and you know, you can, you can deduce what you will. However, it should be innocent until proven guilty, but sometimes the court of public opinion may be hanging motherfuckers and you do not have an opportunity to defend yourself. And it's almost like a lot of time when you seek legal counsel, they advise you not to say anything. So. You know, you're watching all these motherfuckers talk about you, disrespect you, disregard you. And these are the same people who I guarantee have you on their fantasy teams. They're making money off of you. You're scoring touchdowns for them. They love you and appreciate you until, until shit hit the fan. 
And it's a very unfortunate reality. And one thing that frustrates me as well is that I don't understand why we as, as a society put athletes on such a, a high pedestal. We forget that these motherfuckers are human beings. They have feelings, they have emotions, they have opinions. They are people and we forget that. And sometimes it's very unfortunate, but we expect some athletes to be paragons of virtue. We want them to have a more, uh, like a higher moral standard from the way that they live their everyday lives than the man in the Oval Office, and that's ridiculous. Like for me personally, I don't expect athletes to be model citizens. I don't expect athletes to be, you know, to inspire my children. That's your job as the parent. That's like for me, like athletes, sports and entertainment, it's entertainment. It can be great for social commentary, different references, or just a, a, a regularized talking point. However, I think it's very unfortunate and it's some bullshit and I think it's quite lazy. In my personal opinion, for parents and other people within society to put this much weight, value, and stock into these athletes or entertainers, or entertainers say, yeah, you have an obligation or you have a due diligence you know, to behave your way in a social or in a, in a socially acceptable way when you have that when you have that much influence. I agree with that to an extent. However, art, athletics, and entertainment, these people are creators and they are most importantly human beings. I remember being in the fourth or the fifth grade and Get Richard Die Trying came out and on my way to school, we used to listen to that shit all the time. All the time. I'm a PIMP. Many men wish death upon me, blood in my eye, dog, and I can't see. I mean, 21 questions, P-I-M-P. I remember as a child listening to that music. At that age, I knew it was entertainment. I knew it was just a fucking song. It wasn't an everyday standard of life that I knew was acceptable. It was great music, and I enjoyed listening to it. The reason being because my mom raised me to be that way. My uncle as well, like, nah, this shit ain't real life. This is music, this is entertainment. He's selling a record. This is a product. And we need to understand and recognize that. I wasn't expected for 50 Cent to be like my, my idol and my inspiration in the fourth or the fifth grade. Did I love their music? Yes. Was I influenced to an extent? Yes. I used to go to school with my do-rag on from time to time and try to get waves. But outside of that, that was about it. I mean, I knew the niggas who were selling drugs on the block, the cats who had guns, the cats who were doing all that shit that I was not supposed to be doing because my mom raised me to be that way and I knew I could distinguish what entertainment or what fictional uh, what fictional entertainment was opposed to real life. Because in real life, I know where a lot of that shit will get you and I've seen it with my own eyes. And I think parents don't do a good enough job of having those type of conversations with their um, children. So we live in this false reality and everybody gets a fucking trophy. And that's why everybody is so sensitive and everybody wants to be validated and valued and appreciated and affirmed for every simple, basic thing that they do. Yes, we are as a country a little bit overconfident because sometimes our parents provide us with that inspiration. You can do anything that you, anything that you want to do. And while I think that's good to an extent, but we need to be a little more, uh, we, we need to be a little more real with our children or the people we're around. Same thing with a lot of the students that I work with. Um, you fell in, you fell in all your, your chemistry and your biology entry level courses, but you want to be a doctor. 
I could understand that if you did everything that you need to do, you went to SI sessions, you got special tutoring, you did everything in your power to be successful, and you still were, you still were failing to an extent. You spent years, two, three years doing this, and it wasn't working. I understand. I appreciate your effort, but it's not for you. And that's the fact of reality. That's okay. We are not resilient anymore. We're soft as shit. And it, it frustrates me. I understand sometimes you can be sensitive. You can show emotion, but you ain't got to be so fucking emotionally fragile all the time. And I think to an extent, that's what society has done. So for me, I don't, I don't have this expectation for our athletes and our entertainers to be role models. If they are, you know what that is? It's a fucking um, luxury, not a necessity. And we need to recognize that and we need to realize that and we need to appreciate that. We need to do a better job of having these type of conversations and this dialogue with our children and people who we are around because we have this false perception of what reality really is. That's why people are so surprised. It would always trip me out how often, how easy people would take mission trips outside of the country, but they won't go down the street or to the inner cities to see the fucked up shit or the lack of resources that are going on within those communities. It always tripped me out. But you want to make a difference within, you want to make a difference outside of your own, con, outside of your country before you can do the same thing within your city or down the road. Like that, that always tripped me out. That always, you know, it was a, it's, a, it's, a, it's phenomenal if you think about it to an extent. You would travel across the world. You go to this village in Africa and you want to help this school out or you think you're making a difference in the world. But the people you see every day, the people that you have the highest level of access to who you can impact every day or can have much more of a salient experience with those individuals and make their life extremely better. You don't touch. You don't have no, have no dialogue. You're afraid of these people. I know I went off a little bit of tangent, but sometimes negativity... I just, I just get in that mode and I just keep talking and it just spills out. But in all honesty, um, my key point is that I think that we need to do a better job as, as a society having conversations with one another and our children that entertainers, they do not have to be role models. They can provide inspiration. They can provide motivation. You can appreciate their work ethic. You can take bits and pieces of certain aspects of their lives and be motivated and inspired by it. But shit, nigga, you ain't got to base your whole uh, perspective or your whole identity off of that person. Simple as that, man. Simple as that. So I don't know, man. This It just be tripping me out. Folks be tripping me out. But it is what it is. And I'm not going to spend too much time on it because, you know, a nigga can keep going from time to time. I would not stop talking about that because I get frustrated. Extremely frustrated. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, I'm going to go to something a little more beneficial. So... I remember a couple years ago when I was trying to get my my first car by myself, I wanted to get a Dodge Challenger. And I would go to the dealership, I would do everything, and they would run my credit. And at this time, I didn't know like how credit really worked. But every time they ran my credit, it was like a, like a soft inquiry on my credit. And I would see my credit score and it go down and it keeps going down. And I didn't get that and I didn't appreciate that. And it frustrated me immensely so I did a little bit of research and try to figure out you know how I can get a car by myself fortunately my credit was good enough and I just started working so I was able to afford a car financially however I just think that we as a society within the black community we don't have conversations about credit and what that means and how it can impact you long term a lot of us are walking to situations where we already it's like generational debt that we are born into and a lot of folks don't do that. So y'all parents out there who are taking credit cards, 
um, out in y'all children's name. You're gonna have to stop that shit because you're pushing them back. You're setting them up for failure. And you know, honestly, I feel like that should be a punishable offense. You taking a credit card out in your child's name without them knowing the ramifications or the impact that can have upon them within our community, I think that should be a punishable offense. So down the line, um, because my credit score was where it was, um, that that loan was pretty significant, or the, the, I mean, the interest rate of that loan was pretty significant. So the higher your credit score, the lower that interest rate should be. So that's one aspect you should know. And I'm not an expert on this, it's just small different things that I went online and try to do some research. So fortunately for the bank that I bank with, they give you your FICO score and it tells you um, what your credit score is. As well as, I think you should download the app Credit Karma. I use that quite often, quite often. and it tells you your, your TransUnion score and your uh, Equifax score. So making sure that they're all, you know, in line and they're, balance, and they're balanced to an extent. So making sure that your credit is where it wants to be. And I try to keep mine above a, a 700. You know, there's gonna be different inquiries that may uh, limit that. So whatever credit, I mean, there, there's a range also that dictates and shows you what uh, a quote unquote good credit score is. Look on that. You know, you have the world at your disposal and there's so much access to information and I think credit and recognizing how that impacts on you buying a car, uh, purchasing a house, um, getting a loan for opening a business is something that I think is extremely important and it's conversations that we need to start having. And I'm still like very, very, very um, limited in my knowledge of, um, in terms of how credit impacts you, but I do recognize how it, how it impact me getting uh, buying a house moving forward. Um, if I wanted a new vehicle, um, how that impacts the, um, the interest rate on that specific loan that I have. But I just think that we need to do our due diligence and self-educate ourselves to an extent. But also, y'all motherfuckers out there who are putting your children's, who are taking credit cards out in your children's name, that shit's foul. It sets them up for failure. And that shit should be fraud, in my personal opinion, because it's unfortunate. And a lot of time, those kids, uh, they don't have any clue on ter in terms of how that impacts them. You foul ass shit. You take out that credit card and, and deplete and destroy their credit because you have terrible money management. And that's a skill set that we all have to develop somehow. And if we want to break generational curses, that is at the foundation of shit that we need to improve upon. Like I said, my knowledge is extremely limited, but I know a little bit. And you can do the same thing. Go online, do some research, get you a financial advisor. Uh, one of my homeboys recommended one of the guys to him. I need to go ahead and utilize them so I can, you know, make sure I can, like, build my uh, portfolio, um, if you will. So I started investing a little bit, too. But that, you know, is one important aspect. Like, credit is very important, and people don't realize, you know, recognize how that shit can impact you. So you got to start early on, and you can always um, rebuild it. You can always rebuild it. Shit, man, speaking of credit, uh, one of my homeboys joked from after when we came from Vegas that uh, we had to go back and like file bankruptcy because he spent so much money, which is which is which which we typically did. We spent we spent a ton of money. And that shit was mad expensive, um, and it made me realize you just go back and you start thinking of certain things that you experience or that you spend money on. And for me, particular particularly, I was thinking about man, fucking strip clubs is the biggest finesse in the world an extreme finesse so you know or one time went to a strip club a few of my homeboys and this place we went to i think it was like a 20 percent um charge so mind you we give 
say you get $200, you already got 20% off of that $200. On top of this, they give you like this fake ass monopoly money that you have to utilize. And the strippers will come to you after they dance upon you, give them that fake monopoly money, and they go and turn it in. So not only is it a 20%, uh, not only is it a 20% um, like rate right off top, you got this fake ass monopoly money that you have to spend so there's no way you can get your money back. And strippers start charging you based on how they perceive you. So I remember I had on my Aggie ring, A&M with the A&M class of 16, gig them. Um, and I had my ring on, you know, that, that ring is pretty pricey, it's pretty hefty, and it's real gold. And I had it on my ring, and I remember the stripper dancing upon me, and she lifted my right hand up to her stripper friend. Like, I didn't notice that. And then she's like, yeah, essentially what she was conveying was like, yeah, you see this ring? I'm gonna try to charge this nigga a lot. So she was like, yeah, come to the back, give me like uh, $500, and we get to the back, like an additional $1,000. Mind you, I wasn't gonna pay that anyway because I'm smarter than that. And two, I don't like being finesse. And the fact that we stepped foot inside that strip club, to me, I already took um, a huge ass L. And my perspective was like, she got me fucked up. I didn't tell her that, but we like laughed at her. I'm like, nah, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And they try to finesse you, and they try to talk dirty to you, yada, yada, yada. You know, everything that they do, beautiful women, no clothing, little clothing, they're on top of you, they smell good. They try to like fill you up all these overpriced ass drinks. But you have to be with a group of people who's smart and secure within themselves and secure within their finances that sometimes you understand they're not, bro. This was a terrible idea. And in this day and age, there's so much access to things of that nature. I'm not going to say it, but strip clubs are finesse, and I was finessed by just stepping forth in there. stepping foot in there, and I realized that. So be mindful. I can, I can understand sometimes it's a good time, and you just want to go and have a great time with your friends or whoever you go with. But for me, personally, I believe strip clubs are an extreme finesse and I have no intention on ever stepping foot in one of those again, ever in my life, ever in my life. But you live and you learn and it's only a mistake if you don't really take anything positive from that experience. So I thought I had that L kind of similar to the L that I felt that I was taking with the tattoo artist who kept rescheduling my appointment. So speaking of him, randomly a few weeks ago, he hit me up and he's like, yo, my man, I'm sorry. I apologize for the reschedule. Do you have any availability around this day and this time? I was like, deep down, I was like, man, fuck it, I'm done. And I wanted to get my refund. I wanted nothing else to do with this dude, but he was really persistent. He was really cool. And he showed accountability, which I appreciated. He apologized and he acknowledged the mistakes and the inconvenience of everything that was going on. But he was like, come on through, I'ma hook you up. So I go in a couple days later on, man of his word, he hooked me up and I have a dope ass tattoo. A dope ass tattoo is amazing. Still healing up now, which has kind of impaired me from working out, but you know, he did what he said. He's a man of his word, he apologized, he apologized and showed legitimate remorse and um, I can respect that. I can move on from that. So he gave me a fair price, which was, I think is for, for the quality of tattoo that I have and how big it is and how much space it takes up. It's pretty fucking amazing. I'll show you all a picture at some point when I get used to posting on Instagram, which I'm like really, really bad at. I need to get a lot better at posting on Instagram. I just think some time for me posting 
it's like I post on my story a lot more because I feel like it's a lot more accurate and a lot more legitimate. Sometimes when you take pictures, you have to, I guess the way I feel, I feel like it's not organic. Unless it's like a picture of like family and depend on how we, how we utilize it and accentuate it. Then for me, it's not organic and I don't want to like post and take a picture that should be annoying. And it just kills my, it kills my vibe and it kills my mood. And I'm already a very, very private person. Uh, however, I still need to recognize and I understand that you need to be able to adapt in it. And in this day and age, you know, your presence online can be very beneficial to you socially as well as economically. And being mindful and understanding that it's an area of growth for your boy. So I'm not even sure how this whole, that, that piece came from out of the conversation my man with the tattoo and him, you know, hitting me up. So I was able to forgive him and I forgive him in my heart. I am a dude who will forgive. I will forgive. I won't forget. And I can understand who you are and how you operate. And, you know, him being an artist, you know, tattoo artists to an extent, not all of them are like this, but some of them are not the bad, are not the best from an administrative perspective. But he showed accountability, he apologized, and I can appreciate and I can respect that. And he was a man of his word, took a little longer than I thought, but he still did it. And looking back at it now, you know, my tattoo is amazing, it's healing up. And I have a bomb mask and I have really dope tattoo and I appreciate that so much wholeheartedly. Another thing I appreciate is those who gave me feedback about my podcast and your opinion. I swear to you, I appreciate that so much. I value that so much. I value, I value, I value that. Thank you. I can't even lie. Sometimes to an extent, it was a little hard to hear some of the criticism and some of the feedback. And I just think that's because I'm a prideful person. And I can say to an extent, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a healthy know-it-all. I don't think I know everything, but sometimes I'm like, nigga, you know what you're talking about. Some of just disregard that. But the feedback that I heard was very, very important. And I value that so much. And I want to utilize that going forward and moving forward. One of my uh, good friends, she gave me some great feedback and she provided different resources and a different podcast to listen to that provided me some insight in terms of my perspective of where I need to go with this podcast. So like I said before, I'm a, I appreciate you all's patience. I'm still developing and sifting out my sound, sifting out my, my, my thought process, my routine and how I execute the podcast. So, and just trying to figure out the direction and develop an audience in terms of where I want to go with the material and the content that I share. So be patient with me and I appreciate you all and hopefully you all can grow me within this process. I'm still going to try to get back to doing doing an episode a week at a time. I know, right? You niggas are like, well, nigga, this is your second one and you it's been like a month and a half. So I know you all been saying that and I know you probably saying that internally. However, please remain patient with me. And we're going to get this thing going and we're going to get this um, we're going to get this podcast rolling on a more, on a more uh, consistent basis. And I'm still at the point now I'm just like learning to talk within a microphone for a long period of time. And I'm not sure if I'm trying to monetize it just yet, but I'm being vulnerable with you all. And you can appreciate my vulnerability because sometimes I can come across as aloof and a little bit stoic is what I've been told, which is absolute bullshit because I think I'm a very, very friendly person. But that's neither here nor there. So be mindful of that. And we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on pushing forward. So I appreciate you all. So one last thing that I want to talk about is I appreciate people who hold you accountable. Your friend group. Your inner circle. In my personal opinion, I don't think your relationships are authentic. If someone cannot call you out 
and criticize you and tell you when you are tripping. We have too many yes men, too many yes women that exist in society. One of my best friends, he calls me out. He lets me know everything that I'm doing on a constant basis. And it's not like one of those things where he's just like criticizing me and hating on me. He's like, nah, bro, you need to revisit your focus. If you got content material, you need to research and dig deeper. Don't just kind of come on, come on the podcast, bloviate, and just talking to talk. Now I have a deeper understanding of what you're saying to a point where you understand the material so you can articulate it in a way that's presentable and people can appreciate it and gain insight and value from it. And I appreciate that feedback tremendously. And if you if you're one of those type of people who, like I said, I'm a healthy know-it-all, but those people who are extreme know-it-alls who folks can't tell anybody anything, you struggle with that and I don't think your relationship is authentic if you can't have that conversation, if folks can't hold you accountable, if folks can't be, you know, 100% real with you. Like, I don't want people around me and all my friends, we have the same perspective. If I'm doing something wrong, let me know I'm doing something wrong. If I'm on some bullshit, let me know I'm doing some bullshit. Hold me accountable as a friend. Make I want to be the best version of myself and I want them to be the best version of themselves. So I was at that same level I will offer them that same level of respect and communication and transparency. And I will hope that folks do the same for themselves. You got to have a lot of real friendships. But sometimes it takes folks until like 30, 35, 40 years old to realize that, damn, you spend all this time with somebody who really isn't your friend. Or some, or this time with people who don't really value you and you think that. So recognize that we all, we all bring uh, benefits to one another. We all bring value to one another in our relationships, in our situations. So we have to be extremely transparent in regards to that now my favorite session of the show is we're going to talk about some weak ass punchlines. so last time it was Kanye West and that weak ass auntie line so speaking of Kanye West he got those really uh weird croc easies looking coming out shit is gross in my mindset and I am not a hype beast I have a multiple pairs of Yeezys because I actually like the shoe. It's beautiful. The aesthetic is comfortable. The whole nine. But those Croc shoes, them shits are hideous. But as I digress, some weak-ass punchlines. I'm going to give you one that I'll never forget. Luda! I probably didn't have to be so obnoxious with it, but that shit was fucking awful for a multitude of different reasons. One, that he said it, and um, he overdid that super-duper punchline uh, rapid style that I still think that... I think Big Sean modernized it. I don't think he started it, but he modernized it. And Luda just did not know when to stop. And uh, that line was fucking terrible. I forgot about the, the Macy's and the parade line, but that filler up balloons... And then I think we follow by saying some shit about cartoons. Like, Luda is a legend. Luda is great. But that shit was terrible. It was awful. So that is your terrible punchline for this episode. Thank you all for listening. That's going to be a wrap. Follow me on Instagram at d.slate underscore one. Follow me on Twitter at dslate8054 or type in Lenny Savage and subscribe to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, the Darian Slater Podcast. Appreciate you all. God bless you and have a good night.